when you think of favoritism, what comes to mind? Like, what, what does it mean? I'm, c- I'm curious what your thoughts are um, or what you think about favoritism. What'd you say? Examples? Yeah, or examples or just like a, maybe a definition if you can come up with one or whatever. Yeah, favorites, yeah. Yeah. For real? Wow, I love how, like, usually it's the one who's, like, not favored who sees it. No, I'm her favorite. It's really not. Okay. Are you the only, are you, are you the only daughter or no? No. Okay, okay, interesting. Do you, in, how many sisters do you have? Um, I have a lot. Okay. I have my dad, too. Okay. And then my sister has one, my mom has one. Nice. On my dad's side of the family... Um, so on my mom's side, there's two of us, but then on my dad's side, there's four of us, and uh, there's one daughter, and she's definitely the favorite. She's like, she's the one daughter, so she's she's got all of the all of the goodies go to her. Um, so yeah, so you're not favored, okay? Okay, so so I love that. So it's not good to be on the, like the negative end of favoritism, right? Yeah. Equal, okay. I am okay. Yeah, because well, you, you're awesome. Is that? Hey, we want to talk about it. Let's 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 not go there. Anyway, so what else? Favorites, favorites. What else comes to mind? So we, I heard school. I heard family. What else comes to mind when you think of favorites? Favorite what? F- favoritism, like with people, with people. Yeah, not just with food, but with people specifically. What about best friends? That's favorite, right? People got best friends. That's okay. Like favoritism's not like always bad. It doesn't always have to be bad. You had a smile on your face. Why did you have a smile on your face? I said the, re- the reverse part of the school thing is true. Yes. Teachers have their favorite students. Have yes, they do. Students, yeah, students totally have their favorite teachers. Yes. Yeah, and they're much more likely to like extend grace and forgive the like favorite teacher who might have taken a little long to get an assignment grade back to them. But then that one that's not their favorite, if it's not online in like two days. I'm angry. Uh, two, seconds. two seconds. I like it. I like it. Thank you. I like the perspective of the chemistry teacher in, in the room. So favoritism. Here's the thing with favoritism. I just, I kind of want to look at the passage just briefly, the end of the passage that we did last week, because um, one of the things that's amazing, especially with the Bible, um, is, is that when we look at a passage, when we open up to a place in the Bible, I just want to encourage you guys in this. If you're, if you're reading the Bible, tracking with us on the reading plan this year, if not, I would encourage you to download the app, grab the reading plan, just start wherever today's at and, and kick it off. Don't feel like you have to catch up. It's not a big deal. Um, we, just, we just want you reading the Bible. We want you in this book because there's nothing that's going to change your life more than spending consistent time exposed to God's Word. And so the, the closing verses of James chapter 1 um, verses 26 and 27. I just want to read them. Listen to these. These are like, uh, um, I think some passages in the Bible just like hit you in the stomach, um, kind of in a good way. And, and this is one of those passages. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we see James kind of set this picture of like, here's what it means to be faithful in the gospel. To be faithful in the gospel is like, hey, watch your mouth because what you say matters. What he's not saying is this. He's not saying, see, we look at passages like this and we're like, okay, don't say this list of like five, four-letter words. That's not what he's talking about. He's not, he's not just talking about cursing. Now, is cursing like bad? It, it can be. It, it definitely can be bad. It's definitely something that we need to do. But what James is really going after is 
controlling your tongue. Like, like think about it this way. When your sibling pops off at you and you want to you mouth off back, controlling your tongue. In Ephesians 4.29, it actually says that the standard that we're to put our, our mouth under is that every single thing we say must give grace to the hearer. Everything. And so it goes far beyond just not saying, you know, this list of four-letter words that we, you, know, are, you know, are taboo, and if we say them in public, people start turning their heads at us. This is about the way that we treat people when we communicate with them. Not just what we say, but how we say it, when we say it, right? And so he talks about controlling the tongue. But then he says his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Basically saying your faith in Christ has no effect on your life. So it shows that you do not actually have genuine faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. Genuine faith in Christ should always transform the way that we live. We don't transform the way that we live so that we can get closer to Jesus. No, 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 no. We get closer to Jesus, and as we grow closer and closer to Christ, we become more like him. And so part of the ways that that affects us, verse 26, we control our tongue. But then also caring for the weak, caring for the orphan, caring for the widow. Now, the orphan and the widow in this context is just a group of people who would have been typically weak. But what about people who are abused, right? Like, that's, that's, that's a way that we can, we can model this in our culture today. What about, like, retired people? Retired people are typically neglected, pushed to the sides, not cared about. Nobody's concerned about grandma or grandpa anymore. They're, they're just crazy babbling, talking about whatever over here. But, but how can we love and care for grandma and grandpa? are typically pushed to the sides, right? These are, these are kind of modern-day orphans and widows that we, we kind of miss. Now, orphans and widows definitely make sense here. People who don't have parents, people who don't have a spouse to kind of help them walk this thing out, single parents, whatever. But these are, these are weak people who are typically pushed to the side and ignored. Think about the kid that sits by themselves at lunch. Orphan, widow. It's that same kind of, kind of thing going on. And so there's a special compassion, a special care, a special concern in the life of a believer for those people who are kind of dismissed and pushed to the sides. And, and, and James is saying, like, this is religion that's pure and undefiled, religion that isn't lacking in anything, as if these things are happening. And then the last thing is, is to keep oneself unstained from the world, right? Not, not being pushed into these, these, this struggle of what it means to, you know, struggling with sin and, and, and looking like the world and looking like... Now, I'm not talking about clothing. That's not what I'm talking about. But the, our way of life, our actions, the things that we love, the things that we enjoy, the things that we partake in, right? Keeping ourselves unstained, unaffected from the sin that's around us. We're, gonna, we're, we're in the world. We are in a world surrounded by sin. We're going to be surrounded by sin, but we can't let that sin affect us. And the Spirit of God has been given to us so that we can walk this thing out in a way that is good before God. The thing I, I want to draw to your attention is this. James is talking about here's what it means to be faithful. He says absolutely nothing about knowledge. And here's why. James is assuming that you want knowledge and you're attaining knowledge and you're going to get knowledge and you're growing in your understanding of who Jesus is. But the thing is, is especially for people who are seeking to grow in their understanding of who Jesus is, sometimes they get all about the head and they forget the heart and the way of life. And we become, it's, it becomes about what we know and about facts that we know about the Bible and about God and this Bible story and that Bible story, but we actually don't genuinely know God the Father. We don't genuinely experience the grace of the gospel in our everyday life. And so that's what James is really going after here. So he says that, and he sets up what comes next. But before we get there, I want to I jump back to favoritism real quick. Here's the deal. Favoritism, in my opinion, and I think James is going to make this case in the passage tonight, is that favoritism is a problem. It's a problem. But typically, like, when we think about favoritism, we think about favoritism in school or at home because those are kind of the places you guys are the most, right? 
like you're at school and you're at home the most. So that's if favoritism's in your life, it's going to happen there. But James isn't talking about favoritism there. Now, granted, the call to love people and not show favoritism that James is going to go after, is it going to affect the way that you do school and are at home? Absolutely. But James is talking about favoritism in the church. Here. And the interesting thing about favoritism is it's a problem. James is going to talk about it, but favoritism is an easy problem, right? It's easy for you to gravitate toward the people you know, right? You show up here and you just kind of, you go to your, your tribe or your group or, or clique or whatever and, and you gravitate toward them. It's easy. It's easy to do it. On a Sunday morning when I come in here, um, I get to see some of you guys on Sunday mornings, but when, when I come here, I'm typically around the people that I know the most. It's just easier that way, right? So I'm going to gravitate toward the people that I know the most. It's an easy problem, but it's also subtle, right? Because we all do it. It's kind of this like subtle and accepted thing. Like nobody's going to come out and just like check you on it. Like, hey, what are you doing with those people that you know really, really well? Like nobody's going to come up to you and be like, hey, what's your problem? Why are you with the people you know? Like who does that? Nobody does that, right? It was like, hey, you jerk, why are you with the people you know? Meet somebody else. No, nobody does that. And so it's a subtle problem. It's, 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 it's something that's going to happen easily, but it's also something that's going to happen subtly. It's not going to be this like abrupt thing that everybody notices, right? Nobody advertises the fact that you go to the person you're most familiar with when you walk in here. Nobody's going to advertise that. Nobody's going to knock you for it. We all kind of do it. But here's the thing. Favoritism is a destructive problem. And here's why favoritism is a destructive problem. Because we are tempted to show favoritism to those who benefit us the most. And so the interesting thing about favoritism, and and here's the thing, you can check me on this. Think about the people you're prone to show favoritism to. There's a reason why you move toward those people, and it's greater than just you like them. Yes, of course you like them, but there's a reason why you like them. And if you're anything like me, I gravitate toward the people that benefit me the most. And there's a couple ways that people benefit us, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that and get into that a little bit later. But here's the reality. Here's the thing that I want you guys to get tonight, is that we represent Jesus in the way that we love the people in our lives. Every single person that we, we claim to, 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 to love or we claim to care for, if we claim the name of Jesus, if we, if we carry the name of Jesus with us wherever we go, then we represent him in those relationships. You know, and the interesting thing is, is we do not necessarily live in an honor and, and, and shame culture. We, we don't. We live in a, in a, in a, in a guilt and a, and a non-guilt culture, right? So, like, we're worried about if we're doing something wrong. That's typically what we're right. Like, that's how we are. We're, like, I want to be in the right or I want to be in the wrong. And that's kind of how we think about the world. But in an honor and shame culture, which is where James is at, they're most concerned about something like this. It's not about if you do wrong. It's that if you do wrong, you bear a name of shame on the rest of your family. That's how a shame culture is going to approach something, right? So if my last name is Watts and I go steal something from the store, in an honor of shame, in a, in shame culture, stealing isn't the problem. The problem is that I just brought shame to my family by doing something wrong. You see the, the, the difference? It's subtle. It's very subtle. But, so, but think about this. We represent the name of Jesus. And so the problem with sin isn't just that it separates us from God. It's that we take the name of Jesus with us into whatever sin that we're doing. 
And so if you're struggling with favoritism, you're taking Jesus into your favoritism. If you struggle with gossip and you, you love to kind of talk garbage around some, uh, about somebody behind their back or slander somebody behind their back or say something negative about somebody when they're not there to defend themselves, you're taking Jesus with you into that sin. You're taking and bearing the name of Jesus and carrying that with you. Paul uses this as an argument as to why we shouldn't sin sexually in 1 Corinthians. He says the biggest reason why sexual sin is such an issue with people in the church is because like, you're carrying the name of Jesus into that. And that's what's fundamentally wrong is that you're carrying Christ's name with you when you do that. And so uh, verses 1 through 4, I want to jump into these real quick and we are going to get started. So my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism. If you're like a circle person in the Bible or underline, like underline that. James starts us off, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So look how he connects the name that we bear to the command, don't show favoritism. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So in this situation, right, James is using an illustration. Um, this isn't, he's not talking about like a specific thing that's happened in this church, but he's using an illustration to talk about a way that we show favoritism, right? So m- maybe you guys go, you know, if, if you're here on Sunday mornings, or you go somewhere else, whatever, but you, you what was happening with James is the local gathering of believers was coming together for worship. And what was happening is people would walk into the door who were maybe visitors. And um, if they were wearing a gold ring or like dressed really well, it, it's probably evidence that they're wealthy, right? That's what James is going after here. And so the wealthy people would kind of be honored. They would be put in positions of honor. They would be welcomed. They would be greeted. They would, hey, come sit over here in this, in this good seat. And then to the poor, to the one who came in and filthy clothes, to the one who came in stinky, to the one who came in who wasn't appealing. They were ignored or they were cast to the side or they were, go sit back there away from everybody else. Don't, don't taint us with your presence. Like this is, like that's messed up, right? Like imagine coming into a church building and seeing a church treat somebody like that. That's what James is going after here and he's saying like don't show favoritism. But how do we see this at height? I think there's two really ways, at least that I'm seeing it right now. I think, I think the first one, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, right? Like friends, people who are close with, the people that we gravitate toward the most, right? Like these are the people that we're kind of showing favoritism to. But then the second way, and, I, and this is less subtle, is age groups. We're all in high school. You know, I'm not in high school. Those two aren't in high school. Three, I see you, Mackenzie. Um, but here's the deal. Let me ask you this, because they're not here. What do you think about the middle schoolers that are here? Yeah. How, how easy is it for you to push a middle schooler away and discredit them and treat them as less valuable than another high schooler that's here? Right? Like, we, we're guil- I'm guilty of this. I, 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 here's the thing. I, I, I want to confess this to you. Sometimes I think middle schoolers are annoying. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say it in a podcast that's going to be put on the internet tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> So I'm publicly saying, it's not just us here, because parents can hear this, everybody can hear Sometimes I think middle schoolers are annoying. And yet God, in his wisdom, commands me 
to not favor you over them. Now, here's the fascinating thing. We, we used to do this separately. We did it together for years, and then we did it separately, and now we're back together. And, and I think because we switched, and we, we, we met a while and didn't have middle schoolers around, and now we have middle schoolers around, like, I think there's like extra annoyance with the middle schoolers because that's just the case. But I want you each to think about this very deeply. At one point, you were in seventh grade. So why in the world, think, like, like, how crazy is this? Why is it that the senior in high school thinks that just because they're a senior in high school, they now have license to pick on the freshman just because they were picked on as a freshman? And that pain that they were picked on as a freshman, they now project that on the next generation. Like, why don't we just break that? Like, why don't we just break it? Why don't we say, you know what? Like, screw the norm. We're going to do something different because we love Jesus and, and we love Jesus. We don't care about the norm anymore. Like, Kick it to the curb. We don't, we don't need that anymore. And, and here's the thing, and I, I want you to hear, I'm talking to myself as well. Because here's, here's the reality. Favoritism is going to kill this ministry. It will. I want more high schoolers here. I pray for more high schoolers here. Do you know who's going to get more high schoolers here? Yeah. It's not me. I can come up here and speak the best I can. It's, it's not going to get people in the door. And here's why. Because this is kind of offensive sometimes, and I'm not going to hide that. Right? Like, I'm going I'm to talk about what this is talking about. But it's you guys. My job, this, my primary job is to open this book and to tell you what's here, to tell you the, the mysteries of the gospel and the goodness of the gospel, so that you can take those with you to school and be encouraged. Because the reality is, is you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to get on the bus or you're going to get in your car and you're going to get dropped off or whatever and you're going to walk into a building unless you're Luca and you're homeschooled because he's a baller. But Luca also, even though Luca's homeschooled, Luca, you do public things at homeschool. You do it with other people. So this applies to you too. Yeah, yeah. See, come on. You know what's up. And, and here's the thing. You're going to carry the name of Jesus with you into war when you walk into that school. Because the reality is, is you walk into that school and the gates of hell are before you. And it might not be this like fiery picture and dramatic or whatever, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you know this. And so I want to make sure that you have the equipment that you need to do war well tomorrow. And that means checking our own hearts and asking God to show us where we are showing favoritism, right? Because there are ways that we play favorites, but why do we play favorites, right? We, we, we play favorites because it's comfortable. Like, let's be honest, it's easy, it's comfortable. It's convenient, right? There's nothing inconvenient about me getting around the people that I know. But there's, but there's also, like, it's careless. It's careless. Favoritism's careless. We, we play favorites because we're careless. Because when we come here, when we go to school, we're not thinking about, in our minds, we're not like, Lord, how in the world am I going to make the most disciples I can today? That's not on our minds at all. We're careless as it relates to the gospel, and so we gravitate to the people that we know. I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm just telling you my own heart, right? Like, when I go to Mika's, because I go to Mika's, I'm in there every Monday after school, you'll see me. I see Duke in there sometimes. 
But you'll see me. I, I go into Mika's a lot. And I go into Mika's and I'm careless because the people that I talk to as they're walking by or say hi to are the people that I know. But I'm there all the time and get to see the same people all the time. There are people there who do not know Jesus. There are people, if they died right then, they'd go to hell. And like, if I believe that, like if I really believe that, like that should change everything about how I interact with people. If you believe that, like that should change everything about the way that you interact with people. But then also, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, like we play favorites because we're greedy. Because we want something out of the relationship. We play favorites because we make the relationship more about us. And this is completely different than Christ in the gospel, right? Think about what Jesus did. Philippians 2 talks about this, that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human form. Jesus was in eternal glory. He existed in eternal glory. He sat at the right right hand of the Father in the seat of power. He had all authority over all things, and he made himself nothing by becoming a person. He put himself in the form of a servant as a person, not just a person, but a servant. And he spent his entire life, the king of glory, serving others. Now, if there's anybody in the world that should be served, it's Jesus, but he spent his life serving others. There's nothing about that that's comfortable. There's nothing about that that's convenient. There's every, nothing about it that's careless, and there's nothing about it that's greedy. Everything we do when we show favorites is contrary to the gospel. Everything we do when we show favorites is contrary to the gospel. It's against the gospel. It's it's not what Jesus did. Jesus made little of himself so that he could make much of us. When we play favorites, we belittle others to make much of ourselves. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus did. When we play favorites, we belittle others. We put others down. We, We make others less so that we can build ourselves up. But Jesus, when he was here, he made himself nothing so that he can lift up those who are nothing. Right? Like, I have nothing to offer Christ, and yet he made himself nothing to to lift me up, to see him in all of his glory. Look, we're we're called to follow Jesus' example of peculiar love to the people that we see in our life and that we interact with in our life. Peculiar love. We love to say I love you. We love to throw the word love around. So I'm going to say peculiar love. What ways can you show peculiar love to people tomorrow? Tomorrow. Not like in some near distant future when you feel ready. No, 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 no. Tomorrow. There's no better day to start than the moment you wake up. What would, what would this ministry look like? What would your life look like? What would Eureka look like if just a few crazies, just a few crazies, said, you know what, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to try to make as many disciples as I possibly can. What would that look like? If you could show your parents up in your effort to make disciples and teach them what it looks like to make disciples. Because I promise you, your parents have much to learn from you too. And you can wrestle with that with them. Like, how can we do this? How can we make the most disciples we can with the time that we have here. We're called to follow Jesus' example of peculiar love to those in our life. Favoritism and faith don't belong together. I hope, I hope that's clear from what we've seen in just the few minutes we've been talking about this. 
So favoritism and faith don't belong together, but, but why? And it's because favoritism actually exposes a divided heart. And that's what James is going to talk about here next. Look at, look at verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you've dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So what's the deal with favoritism? How does it show a divided heart? James actually opens up this theme. If you read through the book, I love doing this. I would encourage you to do this as many times as you can while we're in this series. Read through the book of James in one sitting. Just one thing, sit down, read five chapters all the way through. Because here's the thing, this is a letter. You never like open a letter from like your lost love and read it halfway through and then put it down, right? Like that doesn't happen. Like if somebody writes me a letter, I'm going to read the whole thing. I don't care how long it is. If it's 10 pages, I'm going to read all 10 pages. And I want to I wanna see everything that's there. And so I'd encourage you, like here's the thing. I read James and I'll read like a section or a verse and I'll close my Bible. Like that's okay. That's not something that's wrong. But I just encourage you to read it as a letter and see what... Um, things you see is like repeated throughout the book because you're going to catch this. Um, James actually talks about this in chapter one. He says, um, you, you might have been here last week and you might have heard or remembered we talked about how like the person who doubts when they're asking God for wisdom, they're kind of tossed back and forth like the, like the seas, the surging seas. They're these chaotic waters that are unpredictable and unreliable and, 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 and weak and, and crazy and all these things. And he says this about that person that they shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord when they're asking him in doubt because they're double-minded and unstable in all their ways. And what he means by double-minded is like they have dual affections. It's like trying to follow Jesus and keep one foot in the world, right? And I think we all struggle with this, right? We, we have this foot in the world and we don't know how to lift it out. And the reality is, is you just lift it out by lifting it out. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, is like you and I, we, it's not that simple because we actually love having one foot in the world. It's, it's, it's not that just we, we, we have a foot in the world. It's, it's we love it being there. We love the things about this world that, that give us pleasure and make us feel good and make us feel right. right. That's why we love to show favoritism because favoritism is this evidence that we, we, we have a stake in the world. We have a stake in the things that keep us away from God. And this contradicts God's heart. This is against God's heart. Favoritism is completely not God's heart. Right? He talks about making much of the poor. Did, not God, did God not choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith. And what he's talking about is, he's not talking about if you have low income that you're immediately saved. That's not what this is about. Because the Bible typically typically looks at poverty in two ways. It, it does talk about material poverty, right? Um, I love, um, God has gifted me with an, an, an incredible story. And I, and I think anybody who's saved, God has gifted them with an incredible story. And that story is about moving from eternal poverty to eternal riches, right? And Jesus talks about that, this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Now, kingdom, what do you think of when you think of kingdom? What do you think of? Kingdom. King of the castle, king of the castle. Yes, castle. What else do you think of when you think of kingdom? What about like authority? Like the king can do whatever they want, right? The king's got authority. What else? 
kingdom. Castle, authority. Yeah, yeah, there's royalty. There's this inheritance that gets passed down from the king to his kids, right? When the king dies or whatever, the kids get exactly what was the king. So there's this inheritance that gets passed down. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. The economic system of a kingdom, right? Yeah, so here's the thing, and, but I, I love that you talked about this, the inheritance aspect of it. You see, the poor in spirit, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's what he's saying. Blessed are those who recognize how much poverty they have in the spirit, how desperate they need me, how, how insufficient their spiritual condition is, how, how lacking their spiritual condition is, how separated from God they are. Blessed is that person. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom. They'll inherit the Father's kingdom, Christ's kingdom. So the poor will become rich. And so there's the spiritual sense of it. But then there is also, throughout the story of the Bible, we see God inclines his heart to people in difficult circumstances, including poverty. We see that all over the Bible. That God seems to have this special grace where he loves making and lifting up people in low positions, people in positions of sickness, people in positions of poverty, and, and we're talking about actual sickness and actual poverty. Um, when I got saved, I didn't have anything but a suitcase and a pillow. Like, that's all I had. I had a suitcase that was about this big, filled with clothes, and a pillow. I had nowhere to live. I was homeless. Like, I had nothing, and I got saved. The reason why it's such a profound picture is that the God of the universe was concerned about me in this low situation where, like, nobody else cared. Right? Like I was, I was considered trash to anybody. And yet the God of the universe was concerned for me in my poverty, both my spiritual poverty and my physical poverty. And so when we favor those who benefit us, we contradict the heart of God because God is in the business of favoring those who offer no benefit for him at all. And God gets glorified the most in that. So God blesses the poor in spirit, and, and, and Jesus' work brings with it this, this lifting up of the poor. And this care and concern for the poor. God del delights. He delights. He takes pleasure in extending grace to the discarded and those who are aware of their need. Those who have been discarded by society, those who have been discarded by people, those who have been discarded and those who are aware of their need of God's grace. In both of those circumstances, God delights to extend grace their way. And so we too should be motivated, right, to show compassion to those in low positions and not show favoritism. But the second thing is like, it doesn't make sense. Favoritism, if you really, really think about it, right, like as we've talked about the gospel tonight, and as we've thought and meditated on, on the fact that Jesus has made much of us who, who are in low positions, it doesn't make any sense that we would not offer much to those in low positions. Like if we've been offered so much grace, why would we not offer that to somebody else? It doesn't make any sense. And James goes even as far as to say is like the rich people that, that these people were favoring actually oppressed them at some point. Because the, the church that James is writing to is typically, you know, we talked about this last week, they're, they're very poor. They were suffering a lot because of their financial struggles. And so at one point, these people who are favoring the rich, and they were probably favoring the rich because of this. Well, when you don't have much money, who you think can help? Well, the rich. So they're kind of favoring the rich. 
They were putting their faith in these people's ability to provide for them rather than God's. It was causing them to show favoritism to the rich people, and the rich people were actually the ones who were oppressing them. The rich people were actually the ones who were blaspheming the good name that was invoked over them. Back to that honor and shame culture. They carry the name of Jesus, and these rich people were blaspheming the name of Jesus. There should be nothing that sickens us more than those who vocalize just total hatred for God. And I don't mean disgust us in the sense of make us like, we're not going to talk to you. No, no, no. We, we move near and we represent Christ well to those people. But that should bother us when we see that happening, when we see people visibly spitting in the face of God. We should have a problem with that. So right, the rich oppress them. The gospel that they've received that has made much of the poor, they're, they're not replicating, they're not reflecting that in their everyday way of life. But then, then again, like the blasphemy of God. These people are blaspheming God. But then finally, I love this. James takes them back into the Old Testament. He takes them back into the book of Leviticus in chapter 19. Where Moses writes, love your neighbor as yourself. And that this is like the foundational truth of the entire Old Testament. This is the command that holds the entire Bible together. Love God, love people. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These hold the scriptures together. And our favoritism abandons God's call to love our neighbor. The root of our favoritism is a lack of love. It's not just selfishness, it's not just comfort, it's not just convenience, it's not just carelessness, it's not just greed, it's, it's, we have a lack of love. So if we're honest when we show favoritism, we lack the love that God calls us to. And so I just want you to think, when it comes to favoritism, when it comes to what we're doing, what does it look like to love visitors here? here well like that that's just a really practical thing right it's like high level we all are here right now how can we welcome people who don't come what can we do how can we come here with like that's where our attention is like like how can we love our neighbor how can we love the stranger that we don't know how can we love the kid that we don't really know very well at school how can we love the person that comes here that's never been here before how can we show them like where the bathroom is or what the snack bar is or how to like hit Mr. Hantack in the face playing nine square because that seems to happen to him every week. Like, like how, can we, how can we love well here? Here. Just think about that. And here's the thing, and I'm going to tell you this. We, myself included, can get better at loving people here. And I know that. I can get better at loving people here. I can get better at loving you guys. I know that. I know there are ways that I have failed loving you well. And yet our growth is going to come through our admission that we have room to grow. And action. Through admitting, you know what? We've dropped the ball. But then acting. Let's pick it up. Let's run with it. And let's do it together. So as you think about inviting people here, like, like one, we should be pumped about inviting somebody. And my encouragement to you, and, and here's the thing, like, like text a leader, hey, I'm inviting this person so we're ready so that when, when they come, we can love them well. Text me, text whoever, text another friend, hey, I'm inviting this person. You should invite this person. Let's all come together and so that we can love well here.
Because here's the reality, and, 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 and I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, heck yes, this is true. There are a lot of people here that don't feel loved. Here. Here. That way, and that way, that way, that way, and those ways. And I think some of us here, here, might not feel loved. Whether it's at hype or at home. or So how can we love one another too, right? Our love and favoritism don't just extend outward to our others, but also inward here in the group that we have. How can we grow tighter? How can we grow closer? How can we care for one another, pray for one another, love one another? So here's the thing. I just, I just want to close with four things um, that you and I, I think, can, can do to cut this beast of favoritism off at the head, to just kill it. And I think these four things are really going to help us kill the temptation to kill kill the temptation to show favoritism. The first is this, constantly seeking what it means to grow in love. So this is like inward. This is personal, right? This is, this is me when I wake up in the morning thinking, how can I make disciples today? How can I grow in love today? How can I help somebody today? How can I serve somebody today? When we think of Jesus making himself as nothing, this is getting in the frame of mind, the state of mind to model that, making ourselves low so that we can lift others up. Making ourselves low so that we can love others well. This is serving one another in a way that is peculiar and probably a little strange and unfamiliar to a lot of us. The second thing is this, getting honest about our potential to fail. I think this is something that we all need to grow in. Here's the thing, and I'm going to take my glasses off and I'm going to sit down for a minute. You know what one of my least favorite things about being a youth pastor is? Everybody thinks they need to be perfect around you. Here's the thing. I know you're not perfect. And I am far from perfect. If you don't believe me, please ask Sarah. She would love to tell you. My wife. She would totally tell you where I'm, I, I dropped the ball. You don't need to be perfect around me. You don't need to be perfect here. This isn't a place for you to come and clean yourself up and pretend to be somebody or not. I want you to be yourself. Don't neuter yourself here. Be yourself. Okay, I'm done. That's all I wanted to say. But we have to get honest about our ability to fail. Like we, like we, we have to be honest with ourselves. Like, you know what? I'm not going to show favoritism all the time. Because here's what happens when we begin to be honest with ourselves. Is this. Hey, Luca, help me not play favorites tonight. And so now I got Luca on my team... And when he sees me moving toward Duke, because I like to pick on Duke, he says, hey, I see you with Duke. I love that you love Duke. But this person over there looks like they have nobody to talk to. You should go talk to them. And then Luca, my friend, right, this is, this is humbling, right? Because Luca's pointing out sin in my life. He's saying, hey, it's not, it's not sinful for me to just go hang out with Duke. But if I'm hanging out with Duke at the expense of loving somebody else, then yes, that is sin. If I'm ignoring opportunities for mission because I want to go inward with those I'm closest with. And being inward is fine. There's a time and a place for that. It's okay. But if Luca sees me doing it all the time, he can come and he can say, hey, John, I see this. And that's, that's when I need to be, like, get honest about my own potential fail and say, say, Luca, thank you. Thank you for saying the hard thing to me. And here's where Luca, Luca can do this well, right? He can say, hey, John, you should go over there. And hey, I'm going to go with you so you don't have to go by yourself. 
we can do this together. Because then it's less terrifying, right? Because let's be honest, there's nothing more awkward than going up to somebody you don't know and asking questions that have only have one word answers. I do this all the time, even with you guys. I'm like, hey, how was your day? And you're like, good. And I'm like, dang, I don't know how to continue this conversation right? Like, it happens all the time. And, and then, like, you, you, you've probably done this with me or been around me where I'm, like, fishing for, like, weird questions to ask you just so you give me more than yes or no, right? It can be weird. It can be awkward, but it's okay, like, because here's the thing. If I got somebody next to me doing it with me, that's when a conversation happens, right? It's not just this awkward exchange between two people. When it's three people, you know, talking, or two people talking to one person, trying to draw out something, it's, it's less weird. It's less awkward. It's more fun, The third one is this, get serious because Jesus is returning, right? Like we don't have forever to do this. We don't have forever. But listen, the one thing that you can't do when you're standing before the throne of God and, and the earth has been renewed and eternity has started is tell a non-believer about the gospel. You can't do that anymore. It's the one thing that you won't be able to do when eternity starts because there will be no non-believers around you. Everyone will see that Jesus is Lord. And some will receive a judgment of mercy and some will receive a judgment of condemnation. And, and for those who are going to receive a judgment of condemnation, like you can't talk to them anymore. And so gets, this is serious. That's, that's what I want to say. This is serious. This means something. This is why we need to start tomorrow. Not, not wait. Start tomorrow. And four, remain motivated by Mercy the most motivating thing in your life that's going to help you push forward in this showing favoritism is knowing that you've received mercy, that God has looked at you in a poor condition and made much of you and extended to you so much grace and mercy that you won't even be able to comprehend it all by the time you die. Right, that God, the moment that he saved you, think about this, the moment that Jesus saved me in March of 2012, he was expressing forgiveness for everything that I had done from 1993 all the way till 2012, everything I was doing in 2012, and everything I will do since. I've done a lot of bad since 2012. I've said a lot of horrible things to Sarah since 2012. I've shown a lot of favoritism since 2012. And yet, in eternity past, before I even existed, God declared that I was going to be forgiven of the full spectrum of my sin at the foot of the cross. And if you're in Christ, He has that same grace to you. And if you're not in Christ, he's saying, come. If you're weary, you're burdened, you're tired, you're, you're laid down by your guilt, are you, are, you, are you struggling, are you in pain, come. I'll give you rest. Rest in my forgiveness. Rest in my mercy. Rest in my grace. You are forgiven. Just come. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the sweetness of the gospel. And so we kill this thing, right? We kill favoritism by constantly seeking to know what it means to grow in love, getting honest about our potential to fail, getting serious, right, because judgment is coming and remaining motivated by God's mercy. And finally, I'm just going to add number five real quick. Have fun doing it because it is a lot of fun. It is. Loving people well truly is a blast. So let's do it together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you did not play favorites, but you saved us. You bought us with your blood. And so, Lord, help us to spend ourselves, even if it costs us our own blood, 
follow you. God, we're going to wake up tomorrow and it is going to be war. And so help us win the small battles tomorrow. Help us to not show favoritism. Help us to lean into the friendships that we have with each other so that we can help others feel loved. Show others the goodness of the gospel. Show others the sweetness of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.